Hello, welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that hosts powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations and shines the light on amazing individuals and their work in order to empower young people, teachers, educators, leaders and parents to live a happy and fulfilled life and most importantly, to flourish. We really hope you enjoy all our conversations. Hello and welcome to another Powerful Imperfectly Perfect Conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm delighted to be welcoming Stephanie Sewell. So Stephanie is an independent education consultant and she helps people to create an education pathway that works for them. Very warm welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Fabienne. I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. So for our listeners, Stephanie is based in Canada, um, obviously, and I was very, very lucky and privileged to talk to her um, about six weeks ago uh, when we decided to deregister our eldest from uh, secondary school. And I was a little bit like, help, I'm not sure what we're doing. Um, and, And Stephanie was just so, the conversation we had was so reassuring and so wonderful. So um, you're in for a treat, I think. Um, (laughs) So I'm delighted to have you here. Shall we start with a little bit about you so our listeners can um, get an idea of what it means to be, you know, how how did you become an independent education consultant and, you know, doing the the work you do? It's a great first question because one of the things that I've thought about the longest is what title to use because independent education consultant winds up meaning different things in different people's minds and it's always good to have an opportunity to sort of go into a little bit more what that means for me and how that plays out in my life. Um, So basically I come at this from a path of having been that child who always wanted to be a teacher. I would line up my stuffed animals and teach them lessons. I was a very high achieving student I went to university for a music degree. I went on to do a teaching degree. I taught in the the public system, also in the private system. And as I moved through those roles of teacher, I began to really see that I saw my role differently than a lot of my colleagues. I wasn't jumping to make my kids do homework. I was, instinctively giving them as much choice as I could within the the confines of the curriculum that we found ourselves having to answer to. When I became pregnant with my eldest, I decided to leave my teaching job and be a stay-at-home parent. And that's what really opened the door to me to start discovering, well, what is this world of people who think a bit differently about education? And that's when I met ARO, the Alternative Education Resource Organization, and started attending their conferences and connecting with the wonderful world of self-directed education. And so we made the decision not to have our kids go to school, at least not at first. And my eldest, who's now 20, went through most of his school years outside of school. So as a self-directed homeschooler, my youngest, who's now 17, chose to go to school when she was about nine and has stayed in school ever since. So living that experience as a parent of a school child, a parent of a homeschooled child, 
somebody who was fascinated by education and always had some kind of teaching in my life. I run a kid's choir, I've tutored kids. It all started kind of coming together as my kids got to the age where they didn't need me so much anymore. And I was ready to step into the work world again. And that's when this independent education consultant thing kind of came up because I realized that people were coming to me to talk about what do we do with our kids? They're not happy in school, but what else could we do? So I was in conversations of helping people to see that going to school is a choice. And there's another choice, which is not going to school. And these are some of the ways that that might look in your context, in our community, in your community. I was also able to engage a lot with homeschoolers because we were in that community. And again, help people to kind of see, well, there's ways of really doing school at home. And then there's ways of really looking at a much more child-directed, self-directed kind of process. So all of that kind of blended quite seamlessly into beginning this, this work as an independent education consultant, um, where I do work with families. I work with the parents if that's more needed, or with the teen if that's more needed, or both. And I'm able to help people figure out what's not working in their education setting, whatever it is, and to make changes to allow it to work. That's kind of the, the I guess, the big picture of the, that path. Yes, no, really good. So there's several things you said that make me want to sort of like lean and go into. Uh, one of them is you mentioned the word self-directed uh, learner or child-centered learning. Yep. So perhaps you, would you would you define that for you, um, maybe for our listeners, because some of our parents may be uh, people who've um, not heard of that terminology or you know some of them might might well be uh, but I would imagine that people who like me had had their kids in school in mainstream would not have heard that terminology so it might be beneficial to have that defined if that's okay. For sure I'm going to begin with self-directed because that's a term that I use a lot and child-centered I'm going to define it in my way, which may be different than other people's. So self-directed to me is, it's really a way of indicating the heart of my work because I believe that we, you know, we live our lives from our internal compass, from the very center of ourselves. As little babies, we do that instinctively. We cry when our needs aren't met. We smile when somebody makes us happy. That's coming from the center of ourselves. And as we step out into the world a little bit more, we get into these places of shoulds and must. And we, we quickly lose that sense of being self-directed. So to me in education, self-directed means you understand that you have agency and you're choosing how you're engaging and what you're engaging in. So you might be self-directed and choosing to go to school. And you're attending that school with your whole sense of self in balance. You know that there's going to be things you'll have to do that you don't like so much, teachers you'll like more or less, but it's okay because solidly in yourself, you're choosing to be there. We see the term self-directed much more often in an, a homeschooling or an outside of school context where it's used to really talk about the fact that the kids are um, choosing what they want to learn. So they're not necessarily following a curriculum that a parent or a system has imposed on them. They're rather saying, I'm really interested in architecture. And 
I have the time and my parents are giving me the time and the enthusiasm to delve into this as much as I choose to. I have the option to step aside and focus on birds or read books for three weeks about nothing else because I want to. I have this agency. I can direct myself. And the kind of container that surrounds all of that is a trust that by directing ourselves, we will get where we need to go. And a big, big thing about it is parents will often say to me, you know, if I let my kid do whatever they wanted to do, they'd play video games all day. They'd sleep till two o'clock in the afternoon. We'd never see them. And that's where the trust comes in. It's a huge leap of faith to think of that direction. And we can get into this a little bit more later, like how that actually can play out in a family. But it is that sense of we're truly trusting them to follow their um, internal compass, as we did when they were learning to walk or they were learning to talk. We didn't teach them. We stood by and held a safe container for them to follow their own direction and do it themselves. That works as kids are older as well. Yes. And it's um, so, so much there, like for me and I'm sure for, for other people. So you, you use the words like choosing and choice. Um, I remember when we spoke, that's exactly what you said to me. It's like, but when you put that the name of that school on the paper you made a choice right you're just making a different choice now and that really helped me because it's like yeah Stephanie's right I'm just choosing differently right so um before we go deeper into what you've just described the whole of the um you know how do I trust my child all of those things um choice so school, I mean, certainly in the UK, I don't know what it's like in Canada, in the UK, uh, and I would also argue back home in France, choice is like the default. It's that's what you do. Um, and I'm going to, you know, hands up, I'm going to be completely honest. Prior to COVID, I was very much a product of a schooling system, Franco-British schooling system, you know, working in the system granted trying to change it from within, but still believing very strongly in it and, and slightly, you know, having blinders or, or choosing to have the blinders as to like, oh, I'm not going to go beyond the system, like the, you know. Um, so I completely get how people were not, might not question. Uh, but I would love your professional opinion on like, how would you, what would you say to people um, who you mentioned that like connected to your heart so for me it started with watching my son and like I knew in my heart of hearts that it wasn't happy at school and so I had a choice of going with what my head was say, saying and no it's like that's what that's what we do and so therefore that's what he will do as we do as a society right or you follow your heart and you just take like you say a leap of faith or what feels like a leap of, of faith um, so what would you would you say to that if people sort of like had questions around this? I think that might be useful. Yeah, I'm going to mention a couple of things in connection with that. Um, just making a note so I don't forget to come back to the second one afterwards. <laughs> so the first one is 
when we're making these choices, it's important to realize that they almost never have to be so-called forever choices. The notion of like thinking in terms of a gap year, I don't know about in the UK, but in Canada and North America, gap years after high school, before university have become quite common. It's, you know, somebody will just say, yeah, I'm not going to university right away, I'm taking a gap year. That's one of the kind of ways that we can think about education for our kids, right? It's, well, it's not going really well right now, we're just gonna take a gap year. It doesn't have to be, we're going to homeschool and this is it and forever. Sometimes it can be, let's just try this. And that can take so much pressure off. And depending on the age of the child, often you can try it, not have any academic thoughts whatsoever for a year, and the child can re-enter with their age mates. And you know, there's lots of other scenarios that can play out there that those you know depend on the individual situation. So that's the first thing I would really say is this decision of pulling your kid out of school for a time because it's clearly not serving them well, doesn't have to be a forever decision. So that takes pressure off. The idea of the leap of faith and the trust that comes in with that. One of the ways that I like to talk to parents about this is if you think about the situation you're in right now and you're, maybe it's your 13 year old is in school and you know they're very stressed and anxious. And we, as so many parents do, are saying, it's just the way it is. Like you just have to figure out your way through that. What messages does that give to the child about what their agency is, what where their power is to change or modify a situation that they're in that's not good for them? And then if we take that question or that, if we take that answer, I guess, and put it ahead 10 years, 20 years to a 23-year-old or a 33-year-old and think, what do we want for our now adult child? If they're in a situation that's not good for them, do we want them to just tough it out? Or do we want them to be looking at ways that, to change it? And you know, to go there, like to touch on this, worst case scenario is, are they in a relationship that's really not a healthy one? What skill set and what sense of self and self-worth and ability to promote change in their lives, do we want them to be in that relationship with? Maybe it's an employer who's overstepping the lines of what is reasonable for them to be doing in that situation. So that's, that's like a really serious worst case scenario that we don't ever wanna think about for our kids. But I think it's worth like touching on that thought in our mind because it can give us the confidence to say, okay, they're 13 or 14 or 15. They're probably going to be living with us for another X number of years. School's not working. Let's just try something else. You know, if they fall flat on their face, we'll figure it out. We're all here. We love them. They've got a roof over their head. You know, if they spend all day on their computer doing video games and they're bleary-eyed and they can't function, we're here to help them maybe see that. If they're open to us helping them see that, we're here to be their parent. Whereas 10, 15, 20 years from now, we probably won't be there in the same way. So that's a way of just giving ourselves the confidence to try something different. And then it's really neat to start looking around who else is out there that's done this wild and crazy thing of leaving school or modifying the way they engage with school. What did they wind up doing? 
because it's amazing how many kids will take that time and they might go through a phase of playing video games all day or not engaging or not wanting to do any academics. And we call that phase kind of de-schooling. And then once they start to emerge from that, it's because they've, they've like let go of a lot of the stuff they needed to let go of. And these little flickers of themselves start to emerge. And maybe it's one day they say, I'm just gonna go for a walk. And the parent is floored because the teenager actually said, I'm gonna go for a walk. And that might be the first moment that their sense of self is starting to emerge. But maybe six months later, that teen is going to say, I've decided I wanna to go to university and I wanna be a doctor. And looking back, this is what I need to do. Mom, can you help me figure out how I can get that biology, chemistry, and math knowledge so that I'm ready to apply to university? That's where we often come back to. Or it's the team who says, yeah, I really, I definitely know I don't want to go to university, but I love yoga and I'm going to train as a yoga teacher. Or I love traveling. I'm just going to go travel and volunteer and see what comes of it. So that sense of like, giving them that space while holding a loving environment for them can allow so much to emerge. And I love that. So holding that space, giving them a loving environment. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm watching my own son going through this so you know effectively i've done i've done the same thing by taking a, a career break so i've literally stepped away from the system right um and and you know six months in and then obviously watching watching my son and i think one thing i'd really love to touch to touch on the de-schooling bit is that I think he's taken to it so much quicker than I have. So it's like almost like to duck to water that I have so many mental models and paradigms that I'm having to shift. And um, so I'd love you to talk talk about this, your experience, like with the adults and, and the children, um, because it, it feels to me like I'm. It's much. It's been much harder for me. So I've I've cried. I've laughed. I've you know everything in between. <laughs> you know. And I remember when we first made the decision, I sat on on um, on our son's bed and I just said, I'm going to be brutally honest here. I'm so, so worried. What if we mess this up? Like, and it messes your life forever. Um, and bless him, he looked at me, he gave me a hug and he went, first of all, I'm so grateful you're giving me this opportunity. And second... I'm not going to mess it up. You know, you're not going to mess it up. If anybody messes up, it'll be me. And it's my, no offense, man, but it's my life. And I just cried even more because it's like, oh my God. Like even now it makes me emotional because I'm like, how old are you? It's like, I was, I was so surprised by his ability to voice that, right? That's quite mature. Um, and so that fits in with that sort of trust and, and faith like that you were talking about. So, I mean, I guess my question, you know, in, in a shorter way is, is it that we adults have more, have stronger beliefs and mental models than our children because we've been schooled for longer in the system? So what's your experience of that? Absolutely. Um, we've been in the system for longer. 
And we're not just thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about our child in, in the case of a parent who's moving into homeschooling. So there's a double, like there's a, such a huge incentive to do it right because we all want to do right by our kids. Um, I just want to touch on the, so actually, in terms of, you know, you mentioned taking a career break. I, one of the things that, one of the models that we have as adults to look to is people who've recently retired. You know, I'm at an age where I'm starting to know people who are taking early retirement and, and it's amazing how many of them look forward to it and then feel completely lost, completely lost. And some of them, after a few months of feeling completely lost, are able to start going, okay, what can I try? What's something I've always wanted to do? Like, this is what we talk about with de-schooling, right? Follow your passion. Don't know where it's going to take you. Just go do something that you want to do. One friend of mine is working in a farm store on an organic farm. Wow. She loves it. It's fun. Yeah. And so it's that sense of, if you want to know what it looks like to say, I'm going to step out of the system and that feeling of like loss and discombobulation, people who've just retired, that's a way of looking at that. So yes, as adults, we're definitely much more entrenched in that. I love that you shared what your son said. It lines up with um, a family that I consulted with recently. Their son, I think he was 12 or 14, I can't remember now. And he wanted to homeschool. They were reluctant for all the reasons that we've talked about. They decided to support him leaving school. And I spoke with them a few weeks after that decision. And she just said, every day, he just thanks us. Like he just thanks us and thanks us and thanks us. So I think that part of um, understanding about kids and teenagers in particular is that that phrase of it's my life, they all feel that. They all know it's their life, but there's so many barriers to them living from that knowledge that it's their life. And that's academic, it's parenting, it's, you know, when we give our kids a curfew, when we give our kids, you know, when schools tell them they have to get their homework done or they have to be there at a certain time, or, you know, if they're five minutes late for class, they get a detention, like all of these are barriers to it's my life. So I think that, that's a really important um, notion that parents can have for their kids, which is to realize they, if I create the space and remove a bunch of these barriers, they will step into that with it's my life intact and they'll start living from that place. And that's a healthy, strong foundation for them to be living their life on. Um, the other, um, person that I'm thinking of right now is one of my clients who's she's 15 and she's so she's left school with it was very difficult a lot of trauma and one of the things that's been really important in her process is the ability to talk about what school was for her and why school created trauma why it created disempowerment we also talk about some of the widening gap in some ways between her and her peers who have remained in school. Like what, what are some of these things that she's realizing as she lives a life without school, the way that she, the perspective she can now see school with. And I think that's a really important um, part of that journey for anyone is to have some kind of 
safe space that they can explore this in. Be it a parent, be it someone like me, be it you know a group of other homeschoolers or other parents of kids who are in school. Yeah. Mm, yes. And and you said you know like follow your passions. So for like the person who's retired and is a bit lost, it's sort of like we say follow your passion. Um, and you were sort of describing like the teenagers and all of the things like more and more as they as they are they as they're being socialized we we then structure their day and tell them where to go when like what time you know and particularly in the UK as parents we have was I bumped into a friend her husband was away this weekend and he's saying oh my god like on my own there's a school and then there's all these clubs in the you know um after school weekend it's like it feels like their life is really structured right um so recently after that after that chat I was thinking and thinking okay from what you've just said so from a baby I'm tapped into my needs and I cry when I'm hungry or when I'm wet or you know when I want to cuddle I smile if I want to I cry I mean I remember my two-year-old having a massive tantrum in the middle of a shop right (laughs) <laughs> and then picking themselves up and going right I'm done you know as they do beautifully and um, if you're not embarrassed of it so, and then the toddler walking or crawling and at their own pace so my question to you is like that trust and you know that when 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 did we first of all lose it so when did we decide that we couldn't trust our children and B, I don't know whether it's the same for you in Canada, but in the UK, the other thing I was thinking is, when did we decide that we had to have children? Because I think about my childhood. Yeah, okay, I went to school, but I didn't have to do all these extra activities that we believe our kids have to do, right? So from your experience, where do you think that comes from? Why is it that we parents feel that we have to cram all these things um, into our kids life and then wonder why when they arrive home the first thing they want to do is go in front of a game and like I see my youngest he comes home and he's like ah I'm not like goes in front of his game because to me it's like his way of releasing that's how I view it so is that I mean I know I've, I've put a lot in there but I would love your your take on all of this oh <laughs> It's, it's a really interesting, um, it's an interesting thing to highlight that sense of where did we lose that trust? I don't feel like I have a, like a full coherent answer. I have a bunch of different thoughts in my head, which I'll share. So I remember, I think it was Peter Gray, one of my early Peter Gray encounters. Um, He's a psychologist who has done all kinds of research, writes a lot on free play. I know you're familiar with who he is and um, for your listeners, go look him up. He's an amazing person. I think it was- We'll put a link, we'll put a link for the listeners for, yeah. Yeah, awesome, thank you. Yeah. So I believe it was him. He talked about the range of free wandering that kids are allowed now versus when, like 50 years ago, maybe it was actually Sir Ken Robinson. Anyway, another link that we should put in the in the, in the description. It used to be something like eight miles. And now it's down to like, you know, 100 meters. I don't know what it is now. But oh, so wow. to me, that's huge. When I was young, but when my parents were young, it was 
go play. Whether you were in the city or in the country, be back for dinner or for supper. Here's your lunch, here's a sandwich. So kids did all kinds of things on their own. And 99% of the time they were just fine. Sometimes they fell out of trees and you know there were injuries. But the 99% of the time that things were going well, they were building so many skills. They were learning how to trust themselves. They were learning how to follow passions. They were learning how to build relationships with other friends. They were like so much. And we've lost, as human beings, we've lost that freedom to truly learn ourselves and learn ourselves in relation to our environment. And at the same time, our parents are with us much more and our parents love us and want us to be safe more than anything else in the world. So that tree that we climbed when our parents were eight miles away, we no longer get to climb it because what parent, like it's pretty hard as a parent to say, yep, go ahead and climb that tree. <laughs> You're like closing your eyes, crossing your fingers. <laughs> it's hard to watch. And so we'll often limit. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it is the, the less, the less freedom and personal um, space they have, the more interference they have with the natural processes of learning to grow. That shows up in terms of parenting and you know, limits that we put on them. Don't climb too high. Don't be out too late. Don't, 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 don't. And it also shows up academically because the more, um, you know, if we go back a period of time as well, not everybody went to university. Now almost everybody goes to university. So the, the more there is to learn, the more we have to cram it in and we have to make sure that they have the testing on this. And, it becomes more all-encompassing. You have to do homework because the school day is not enough. The more homework you do, the more burnt out you get, the less you're able to do at school, the more homework you have to do because school wasn't enough. So we're, I think we're caught up in a lot of self-perpetuating cycles right now. It's, what's the solution? How do you find your way out of that? It's not easy. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is if you look at something like gymnastics, you know, so many kids love to do a gymnastics class. But then by the time they're eight or nine, gymnastics is specializing. You know, if you're good, you're coming two times a week, three times a week, four times a week for multiple hours. Being able to continue doing like recreational gymnastics doesn't really exist very easily. And so with all of these activities that kids do, becoming so specialized that's where the extra driving the more time and the more pressure and it's less and less about their own desire to engage because you know my kids were competitive cross-country skiers for a while and there was so much good in it and there was also not a lot of room for them to do what truly gave them joy with skiing because in order to keep up, you need to do the training of the techniques and the this and go to the races. And so there, we stopped having time for family skis where they would, you know, practice crazy things on their skis that they used to do when they were younger, just because it was fun. So I think specialization is a challenge. And 
it's interesting. I, I think, again, I, I so often come back to this. It's like, look ahead. What do you want for your kid when they're 20, 30, 40? You know, they probably, if, if to go back to the cross-country skiing competitive program, they're probably not still going to be competing at cross-country skiing when they're 30 years old. So at some point, they need to transition from being coached into high achievement to self-directing their cross-country skiing. And, you know, and I remember thinking about it in those terms when my son was 14 or 12, whenever he left across this competitive and moved into a more adventurous type of program. Okay, like maybe he's not going to ski as much right now, but he's going to start to, to learn to choose it. And now that he's 20, I see him choosing to go skiing. So he's managed to transition to choosing to have that as part of his life. So I think that's maybe a way of doing it as well, is just is projecting ahead. How do you see this as a potentially healthy balance in their adult life and come back to now? And how can we how can we transition to giving that trust to them so that they can start having the possibility of building a healthy long-term relationship with their time and how they want to engage in different activities? Mm. and they're healthy sort of with their time with their you know like what okay does this inspire me so the other thing that then makes me want to ask is you, you you've spoken a lot about like coming from your heart right so like talking from the heart so the other thing I'm seeing with with uh Tom at the minute is that re I said that yes yesterday um I felt like we've unclipped his wings what a beautiful I way of putting it I felt like we have literally unclipped his wings. And so that sense of freedom. And as I watch him, so I'm, I'm, I work with metaphors. Again, I apologize if you, if you don't work with metaphors. That's I, my brain. I totally work with metaphors. <laughs> I don't Sorry, think I'm doing yet, but them. <laughs> but imagine, you know, there's a bird that would have been kept in a cage with his wings clipped. And then suddenly you unclip them and you get the bird out of his cage and you just say, off you go. Um, and so I'm watching him and there's a, almost like a, oh my God, there's all of these things. It's like a little bit, I sense that also when I stepped away from the hamster wheel like like a kid in a candy shop I could do this and I could have this and this is like this so it's like it feels really overwhelming and so there's so many exciting things yet it's so scary because suddenly you're stepping out of your box that you've been kept in right and that's a safe space um and also so there's that but also the He's a teenager, so there's a period of transition. He's, you know, 14, getting a, you know, you can see the hormone change, it changes in him, and he's obviously clearly changing. Um, and I don't know how comfortable he is with that either. I mean, we've not, never discussed it, but I can really clearly see that that's also happening. And so I guess, you know, my question, whether they are at school or, or, you know, at home, I see it more. It's like, how do we, how do we empower children? I mean, you know, to be comfortable and to discover like their 
because of the don't, 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 do, 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 we literally almost like tell them we the adult know best. You, what you, it's my life. Well, we don't care because we the adults, we're in charge, right? So you don't know best. So how do we, I mean, I guess it's of, again, it's like long comments, but my question is, I feel like Tom has been literally pulled out of this this box we've unclipped his wings he doesn't know what bird it is or how he flies really or he's discovering it and so what's my best what's the best way we can support him to to discover how to tap into his heart that's an excellent excellent question um so one thought as a starting point is to go to think of a time in your life when your wings have essentially been unclipped, either because you've finished something or because, you know, in the way that it's being described for Tom, somebody allowed them to be unclipped. And just spend a bit of time thinking what, what created that safety for you? So that's just like an invitation to go into there. I mean, I know for me, I would, my thought would go to when I finished my university degree because music, piano performance, incredibly intensive hours and hours of practicing every day. And then I graduated and my days were blank slates and it was really, really scary. And, you know, thinking back to that time, I can remember the little things that helped me to move through that, which I would say it took me a good two years to kind of emerge from that, like, what do I do now? So for our kids, when we're in this role as parents, I think emotionally, I love you is really important. If you're a family that says that, say it a few more times a day. If you're a family that doesn't feel comfortable saying that, find ways to show it. Or, you know, sometimes it's like texting can be really, it can allow us to say things that don't feel comfortable. Just send a heart. And just these little injections of, I love you and I trust you. And I know you've got this. That's, I don't know if that's an English expression as well. In Canada, yeah, it's very yeah, much, yeah. you've got this. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I find myself in that place with my 17-year-old right now of, you know, she's she's so independent. And there's also times when, you know, she's got a tough day ahead of her. And I feel myself wanting to, like, give her advice. And I'm trying more and more to pull back and say, you've got this. So that, I think, is the, the, a way of creating a safe container is those feelings of, of holding them in that way. Um, and as far as the actual practicality of that the the paralysis that we can feel when we've had our wings unclipped what are your days going to look like you know if Friday was the last day that you went to school what's Monday going to look like and that's where it's so individualized you know that's where um, you know when I'm helping families through this for some people, it's Monday needs to have some math, English, and French as part of its day because even the, the teen is so like, I know I need to leave school, but I'm so scared I'm not going to graduate and, and, and. So 
move into doing a bit of school at home because that's what feels safe. The paramount thing is to feel safe right now and to, to dial back our anxiety or not create anxiety, depending on what the situation is. And if that's what it takes, great. But know that now you're in a position to give consent. So you might be saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to finish my curriculum of English history science. And if that's not working for you, you can say, I'm going to stop doing this now. That's such a key ingredient of people's well-being. And I had a perfect example of it last night. I was telling you that we just got 12 centimeters of snow here. I'm taking cross-country ski lessons right now. And the snow was blowing, it was dark. I was tired. I really didn't feel like going to this lesson, but it was the last lesson. It was a group lesson, I didn't have to go. And I almost didn't go. And then my husband pointed out to me, well, you know, if you go and take your own car instead of carpooling, then you can choose to leave early if you want to. And that was what allowed me to go. And for all the, like, it was so like, well, duh, of course. <laughs> but it took him pointing that out to me. Yeah. And then I chose to go. And I didn't stay the whole time. But I was really glad that I went at the time that I went for. So this notion of consent with the ability to choose not to, with no judgment attached to it, can be a really important part of that transition of how do we, how do we move through those early days, weeks, months of having our wings unclipped. Mm, beautiful. And for that consent with no judgment, again, that requires us as parents to really shift a lot of the paradigms, right? Because even as an educator, you know, so so the way I, I trained as an educator, I think, I think the way we are we are taught to be teachers is this is very much underlying philosophy or mental model that young people or children are empty vessels that need to be filled that we the adults have all the answers right that's what the model I mean I don't know again if it's the same in Canada but the underlying message is um and I guess that's what we grew up with is like I'm the adults you're the child you know children can be when I grew up it was pretty much children can be seen but not really heard you don't really have a voice and what I'm hearing you say is that actually and as a teenager I definitely didn't have a, a voice I don't think um you know I love my parents to bits and I think you know they did what they did etc um so this is a real shift in terms of, of mental models for parents. Mm -hmm. um, and for any parents is listening to us and would if they if it jars or struggles for them, what message would you have? Because I wonder whether that might be the case. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up because when we talk when we talk a lot about self-directed and children following their passions and all of that, you can imagine it as this child who has full reign to like go nuts yeah lord and, of the flies is often what people refer to right that book where if you allow yeah. the children to have all the 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 ability to make the decisions then they'll become completely feral and you know there, there's also that i guess because we tend to have to go from one extreme to the other right so 
um, yeah, Lord of the Flies. So if any parents out there listening to us feel like there's no way I'm giving my kids so many responsibility or, you know, so much freedom and like consent, all of those things, what would be your, your message to them? Okay, context. So context and, yeah, context. What is the context of your life? So a child who's left school, who is, or who is in school, an adult who lives in a society, we live in a context. You know, I can't turn onto my road and drive at 200 kilometers an hour. I could put my foot down. I don't know if my car goes that fast, but, you know, I technically I, I can. I just can't because I live in a context. And By allowing our kids the opportunity to move away from school or to reimagine school for themselves, we are changing, we're sort of putting a, um, a different kind of focus on the context. We're changing the context a bit. So in the example in your situation where, okay, now your 14 year old is home all day. So you might have a time when you're doing a podcast and you really need the house to be quiet. So that then becomes a context. And it's it's not like, you're not allowed to make any noise. Or blah, 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 blah. It's simply, this is my need. I do this work and this is my need for it to be quiet from this time to this time. Maybe you also need quiet time in the morning for your morning cup of tea. And you just don't want him to talk to you until you've finished your cup of tea. So always that context, what, we're bringing our kids into a real interrelationship with the community of themselves. What's their need? You know, if like um, my son went to school for grade seven in a Montessori school, he decided to return to homeschooling. And one of the things we talked to him about was, well, we see that by moving around more during your, the days you've been at school, that's good for you. Like we can see that you are well because you're moving around. So if you're coming back to homeschooling, like what's your plan for moving around more? So all of these things like this are part of the conversation of family, part of the conversation of creating, um, creating a healthy way to do this. And again, that's where the idea of consent comes in, right? It's not, it doesn't have to be, you're going to, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's put the issue on the table, and let's have a conversation about it. So here, I'll give you one of my favorite metaphors. Um, I like to think of it as a campfire and mm -hmm. we're sitting around the campfire. So that campfire in this instance is the campfire of the well-being of the family. So you child who has had your wings unclipped and has much more autonomy now are one of the ones who feeds into this campfire you have a bunch of logs there that you can put onto it you also have a pot of water that you can pour onto it and you know your actions can have a negative impact on the well-being of the family as do mine as do your dad's whatever whatever your other family members are so I think that's a way of looking at it as well is just anchoring in real life and real needs of real people and then that trust comes out of that like I trust that you're going to sit at this fire with me. You might not always 
like you might wind up pouring water on it sometimes because we're all going to, like we're all going to have moments where we pour water on it and then we can build it up again. Mm, yeah. But this is this fits in so well with what I also see is happening with us as a family, which is we're getting so much closer as a family. And these like, you know, so it's become a real team vows. Like even if when they they're because you know, it's not been pl- plain sailing. So I'd be lying if I just said that. It's been amazing and we've just loved it all along the way you know like life still happens right so just yeah. because you deregister you your child from school doesn't mean that all the problems and life doesn't start sort of continue happening um but it but it's a very much a you know it feels to me like that what we are building is even more of a team vows it's like you know even when the challenges happen we i just go right well yeah we we're a team. We can we can sort this out. So is that also your experience with like the people you work with? Yes, and I would qualify that by saying that um, it doesn't necessarily happen in the way that we might lovingly imagine a family team to happen. You know, some people, when they have more of that autonomy, will take it and run. And that then they might not physically leave home, but they might become very, very independent and not really wanting to engage. And that can be really hard. And that's when you start hearing the voice in your head, while well, you're living under my roof. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and of course that voice isn't very helpful, although it's totally fine if it comes out sometimes because we are all human, but that's where that idea of the fire, okay? We are living together and it's really hard for me to hear that arguing all the time. What can we do? And, you know, with so many things in life, like, I don't know what the numbers are. They say it takes, like, you have to do something 10,000 times before you learn how to do it. Like, it's not going to happen right away, necessarily. And, you know, with when you deregister a child from school, there's often a honeymoon period. And then the reality hits. <laughs> there's a lot of rebalancing. You know, I, I know when when my 20-year-old, when he went to school, because he, well, he's been in, in and out of school a few times, but the two times that he's gone to school, I missed him so much during the day. And in a, the context of our relationship, I missed the little connections because those little connections were what allowed us to have um, an easy, a fairly easygoing relationship. So once those little connections were gone, it was really hard to keep that relationship going with just seeing him in the evening when he was tired. So there's there's a big shift in how you live your day, whether your child is home or not home. Um, I think, I don't know if we've talked about this yet or not, but it's really important to have models of what this has looked like for other people. So, you know, you mentioned like, it's not all, it hasn't all been clear sailing getting to know what other people have experienced is really helpful. And that's where being in a group, being in Facebook groups, reading any of that stuff can help a lot. Um, I'm gonna bring us back to, back a question just for a quick moment, because there's something I didn't say that I really wanted to. One of the things that I've been exploring lately with people is the idea of decisions and how to make decisions and what kind of decision you're making. So, when it comes down to um, you know, giving our kids that autonomy to choose things, 
to try things out. Sometimes we have moments of, okay, well, you're asking to be signed up for this. It costs a lot of money. And if you want to leave after the second time, I feel like I've wasted that money. And that comes into the consent. So returning to the idea of always being real about it, you know, teen veils sitting around the fire. You know, if your child says like, I really want to register for X and your feeling is, I don't think you're going to stick with it and that's going to be expensive. Those are both real and honest elements of a decision that now needs to be made. And talking about it in those terms helps your child to build those skills themselves. And it helps you to have a healthy home environment as you're figuring out this new way of life. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And I, I, I completely see that, like the having honest conversations or being honest and sharing openly with with each other right it's sort of like yeah what i'm seeing so two things on what you said the first one is i really noticed how um those moments we have a lot more of so having lunch together um you know uh watching him like say oh how do i do this and you know like can you tell me how to do this and so like you know in the way that obviously when he was at school i couldn't do so and also not interfering when he's cooking, like not taking over and just, which is also another thing, right? Because as a mum, you're like, oh no, he's like, I can see he's going wrong. And so I'm like, and you're like, oh no, I need to remove myself. And um, if, he, if he's about to burn the house down, you will intervene. Yes, yes. And so that then becomes that question of, okay, I have to make a decision. What is, what is the consequence of this decision? That can help us to know how to decide it. Um, and one of the things that we can we can say, well, part of the language of creating healthy spaces for this all to unfold is, would you like my support on this? Let me know if I can support you with this. Let me know if you need my help. I'll be in the next room. And then just walk away. Because again, you've said you're there, you've said you can help, and you've given them the space to make that decision whether or not they want the help. Yeah. Amazing. I could speak to you for hours, like hours and hours. I love our conversation, but I'm also conscious of your time and your precious time. So um, yes, that's wonderful. And, and um, you know, what I love the most about our conversation is, you know, you, you talk very much about like the heart centered and sort of like the, but, but that to me shines in everything you say. So that's the thing I wanted to share with you. It's like very clearly everything you share, you've shared with me, and I'm sure the audience will hear it. It clearly comes from the heart and from that passion. So, yeah, I wanted to say yeah, that's, that. It's what drives my work. And I remember in my very early 20s, sitting in a restaurant with the person who became my husband and there were kids playing on a little ramp and I was just watching them and he looked at me and he said you really love kids don't you and of course I said yes and that moment stayed with me because that's what it is for me is when I'm talking to somebody as soon as they mention a child or a teenager 
I just, it's like I just zoom in on that person, even if I haven't met them yet. And I'm driven by a very strong desire to help people live the life that works for them and to not be bound by our societal norms if that's if it's a norm that can be worked with and if it's not serving them well and just opening up this flexibility of thinking helping people to see you know you're not stuck in that there's other ways we can look at it let's take it apart a little bit and, and you know to be that reassuring safe space for the parents for the child as they're dealing with the situation I just find that an honor and I love 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 to do it yeah, and, and, and like you can really tell, say, like, thank you. Thank you for the time you've given me now when we've spoken and here on the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm nothing but gratitude, really. You're um, very, very welcome. And thank you for the opportunity to to explore all of these ideas with you here on the podcast. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's wonderful. So before I let you go, can I ask you one last question? Always. <laughs> so I always ask my guest. Um, if there was one thing you would want our listeners to take away from this conversation, for you, what would it be? Trust your intuition when it comes to what is or isn't serving the well-being of your child. Have confidence that no matter how impossible it seems to find another way, another way can be found. Our kids deserve and can live from their internal compass, their space of truth. And we can help them to do that when we have <clears throat> the, a little bit of knowledge about some options, some support to help us get there. And when we just let our love for them be the guiding light. Thank you so much, Penny. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at Flourishing Heichi on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.